Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity. In addition, I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Clinic here in Stratford-upon-Avon. So today I'm delighted and excited because I have Davina back on the podcast. She's already been and she's here again. So hi, Davina. Hi. I literally love coming on here. You're like my fountain of knowledge. I've saved up some questions for you. And I know oh, I'm gosh. the one that's supposed to be talking, but I've got questions for you as well. So it's, I'm so excited okay. to be back. Great. Well, no, it's really good. And so one of the reasons that I've invited you back, obviously, because I want to talk to you, but because there's this great Channel 4 documentary that... Well, we're pre-recording this. When we put it out, hopefully it will be out. And it's the most amazing programme. And it's going to really resonate with so many people. And we've been connected for a while. But Kate Muir, who has written and produced the programme, I have been talking to for the last 18 months or so, is phenomenal. She's amazing. She is incredible Mm. what she has done in an hour. Mm. But also... What you do in the programme is incredible. Just the feeling that you have, the empathy, the understanding. It's just fantastic. So if any of you are listening and haven't watched it, you can watch it through Channel 4. But So I just wanted to talk to you today about how you felt, because the programme you didn't know anything about, you were launched in, you talked about, and obviously I know you're really passionate, really passionate, which is fantastic about helping as many women as possible. But I just wanted to hear from you what you learned with the programme and how you feel differently since Mm. going through and doing what you've done. I think, firstly, through the programme, I thought about you a lot (laughs) because I would often, and I know that you know, because we've talked about it, what this feels like, but I would go home at the end Mm. of the day and often I was alone because sometimes I'd be filming and I'd stay up in London or whatever. I'd get back to my room and I would just sit down and I would just start crying. Mm. And I was so angry and upset and absolutely floored Mm. by the misinformation, Mm. the demonization, the shaming, and the fact that for something that every single woman in this country and 51% of this country is women and 100% of those women will go through the menopause, that if you want to get the information, you have to work so hard Mm. to get it. And I don't know any other, it's not like it's a rare illness. You know, I could find out more about Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, which is a really rare illness in adults or children I think mainly it hits Mm. but I was thinking why is it so hard to find trustworthy Mm. information about the menopause and why is it so demonized and you know yes we can always keep going back to this paper from 20 years ago but it's not been helped by an enormous amount of misinformation and uneducation in terms of Mm. health practitioners who, look, I'm not demonising health practitioners either because, you know, I know they've got a very, very difficult job and they have so many people to see with such a huge range of illnesses. But why aren't they learning more about the menopause when half of their practice will go through it? And why is it that if women choose to go down the HRT route, which 
I did. Why is it that it's made so difficult for us mm. when the health benefits are so great? The health benefits way outweigh the bad. And I don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. So when I, as you know, when I started my clinic, I just did it to help a few friends who had been given antidepressants because I thought, what the hell, I've never, ever given antidepressants for mm. the low mood associated menopause. I didn't even know it was a treatment. And then I set up my website because I was, again, shocked with the misinformation that was out there. But I, as you know, had no formal menopause training, but a lot of people just associate the word menopause as hot flushes and they think, mm. oh, it's just women complaining but actually, when you look at how important the hormone estrogen is for our cell mm. function, when you see that, like you say, the health risks of not having it, this is where the training has to be. You can forget about symptoms, actually. Mm. It's a bit, you know, like having other conditions such as raised cholesterol doesn't cause mm. symptoms. It might for a few people, but most people don't get any symptoms at all. But we know it's a marker of heart disease. Blood pressure is the same. You don't get symptoms usually. Some people can get a headache, but a lot of people don't get symptoms, but you treat it. You know, diabetes doesn't have symptoms unless you're really, really poorly controlled, but you treat it. And not only do you treat it because you want the sugar levels to be normal, but it is a marker of future disease. So if someone's got poorly controlled diabetic, they have an increased risk of heart disease. They have an increased risk of stroke, increased risk of kidney damage. And menopause is the same. It has a risk of all these conditions and more because estrogen stimulates every single cell. But no one has been taught about it. So mm. the last few weeks, I've been trying to do some research with some cardiologists because palpitations, as you know, are very common. Well, symptom. I had palpitations. Yeah. yeah, and I did too, actually. And I gave up alcohol and caffeine because I thought they were associated yeah. with that. And I'm sure in retrospect, it was my hormones. But so I said to a consultant cardiologist, very eminent cardiologist who runs an arrhythmia practice. So arrhythmia is an abnormal heart rhythm. And I said, how would you feel if I could reduce the number of perimenopausal women and menopausal women who were referred to your clinic? So my goodness, that we're full of them. In fact, I can't even see them. There's so many. We could send them off to have a tracing and then we'd analyse their tracing. And if it isn't anything widely abnormal, we just reassure them. I said, but they're still feeling those palpitations. What do you do? Well, nothing. I said, why don't you give them HRT? Oh, oh, I don't know how to prescribe that. And I said, mm. well, you do know it reduces the risk of heart disease more than if you gave them a blood pressure lowering treatment. And he went, really? Ooh. Oh, my oh, God. This kind of thing. You see, this is just yeah. some of the things that I learned on this documentary where I'd go home yeah. and I'd just go, oh, my God. Mm. I know. So what? how did that end? I mean, it's fantastic. So we, we want I want to do some research. But as you know, doing research is really hard. There's no money in it. There's no funding. If you attach the word woman or goodness only knows the word menopause to a research proposal, it will be turned down. <gasps> so, you know, he said, yeah, this is really interesting. We'll discuss it. But it's really hard to be in. So I, you know, I just think actually for those women, it's really hard when you've got something wrong with your heart, but everyone's telling you there's nothing wrong. Mm. But also for the NHS, they're, they're spending a lot of money actually mm. on these women for every referral to the NHS, for every investigation that's mm. got a pound sign to it as well. And also these poor women are taking time off work to go to these appointments, to have their investigations. It's just this whole ripple effect. And we know, I mean, I see women in the clinic time and time again who have palpitations and they melt away with HRT. So, mm. But that's just one thing, isn't it? Look at the muscle aches, look at the headaches, look at the joint pains. Joint pains. And, the, you know, people often just attribute a slightly dodgy memory to getting older, but it just mm. doesn't have to. I mean, 
Mm. Even with HRT, my memory is a little bit away with the fairies, but it's improved so much. I literally did not know where I'd put my glasses three seconds before they'd be on top of my head. And... It's very scary. It's mm, really it frightening. Was very frightening. So many women say to me, I'm really worried I've got dementia mm. or I'm getting dementia. And you can understand, but even in the programme, you're talking, aren't you, to Michael Craig and looking at the brain and showing how a hormones estrogen are so important for brain. But I had a meeting recently with Alzheimer's Research Charity and they've got a whole new research programme looking at preventative treatments for Alzheimer's absolutely crucial. I said, well, what, what are you doing about female hormones? Nothing. But you're all over your website. It's telling me that women are more likely to have dementia and women are more likely to menopause. Why is this not being looked at? Because it's on no one's radar. No one thinks about it. And are they doing anything about that? No. I mean, when Michael told me that when I was talking to him about Alzheimer's the connection to estrogen and obviously he's coming from a physician's point of view mm. and he was just telling me the scientific facts and I was saying but does this not feel to you like an enormous kind of hole and he said look mm. since the WHI paper that came out 20 years ago that said that HRT caused breast cancer no funding into mm. this research has been done even though it can now be proven that that paper is incorrect that this HRT mm. that women are taking now is safe mm. oh I just you know my dad's got Alzheimer's I, know. I want to do everything that I can mm. I mean thankfully I'm on HRT and I know that that's going to kind of you know provide me with a bit more protection than it would if mm. I wasn't but other people it's just about getting the message out there but it's crazy that me I'm getting the message out there on Twitter one tweet at a time what the mm. hell so this is a question I've got for you Tell me, because I know that transdermal estrogen mm. is the best form to take. It's body identical. It's completely plant-based. It's a natural product, and it's mm. by far and away the best way to ingest HRT. Why are there pills if the pills aren't good for you? Well, it's a very good question. When HRT started, as you you know, it was this conjugated equine estrogen. So this was derived from the pregnant horse's urine, yes. which was in the big study that you've alluded mm. to, the WHI study. And that was all that there was. So it was a tablet and it was a synthetic progestogen. So some of the progestogens that are in the contraceptive pill, exactly the same, which I hasten to add that everyone takes the pill with no problems, but it's still yes. got the same risks as the, uh, the ones in HRT. But anyway, so that was all they had. And then they found that the more natural type oral estrogen that wasn't derived from horses urine put that with the synthetic progestogens and there's a whole range now and if you open the bnf the british national formulary that book that we all use to look up drugs they're all there listed and i can't tell you half of them and i can't pronounce some of them you know but but they're all different combinations so it's a natural so it's a more of a natural estrogen with a synthetic progestogen and that was sort of but it's a, still not as good as taking no it's not it body identical so when I qualified, and I qualified in 1994, so before the WHI study, we used to give some of the horses your one because that was all it was. And then they had these others. So I thought, well, this is a bit more modern. So we gave those in the early 2000s. And then the study came out, as you know, in 2002, everyone got scared, but I carried on <laughs> prescribing it because I thought, well, actually, there's, there's still evidence that it's good. And then the gels and patches, and now we've got the spray that, like you say, you go onto the skin, they go straight into the bloodstream, came out. But then no one was interested in HRT. They thought, well, what, it's just going to give cancer. Don't do it. 
So this is still there. And then we've got this micronized progesterone that's that's been available for many years, actually. And I remember writing an article about it. Oh, it must have been about eight or nine years ago. So before the NICE guidance came out, I wrote this article and I was because I've spent many years writing for doctors and different journals. And I wrote this article about why estrogen through the skin and micronized progesterone is best and the gold standard because it's body identical. It's got lower risk. It's got no risk of clot. It's got no proven risk of breast cancer. And so a doctor then wrote and complained and said, I, I really like reading Dr. Newsom's work, but I really don't like this article because she's put in drugs that we can't prescribe. And I said, well, well just open the BNF and educate yourself because it's there. And then when I started my clinic, as you know, I've had lots of people telling me off for various things, a lot of healthcare professionals, but someone contacted me and said, how dare you prescribe this fancy private HRT? And I said, but it's not fancy private HRT. It's available in the NHS and it costs the NHS about four or five quid a month. It's not expensive. It's slightly more expensive than the tablets. But NICE, as you know, the National Institute of Health and Care Excellence Guidance, when they compared the cost, they said, actually, when you look into the cost of investigating and managing a clot associated with a tablet, the actual cost is very similar for a tablet and a patch. So this slightly increased price, you're not going to have this increased risk of clot. So it, it offsets it, if you like. So it's still really cheap, but people just haven't been taught about but it. It's, it seems insane mm. that anyone would prescribe a tablet that has an increased risk of clot yeah. when you can on the NHS prescribe a transdermal. Yeah and, and I, I remember going to a meeting a few years ago now with some people I won't mention their names but very key menopause specialists and we had to write down what we would prescribe so if it was a tablet which tablet we would prescribe if it was a patch which patch they were trying to work out the size of things so when they said which tablet I left it blank and then we had to give in ours and there was only about eight of us we had a discussion and everyone said to me Louise what are you doing what do you mean nothing I said well I wouldn't prescribe it I've got probably two patients who are on it who don't absorb it very well through the skin and they don't have a risk of clock because they're slim they're fit they don't have migraines so I have given them as the tablets but otherwise I wouldn't so I wouldn't give it and I wouldn't give a synthetic progestogen unless it a woman had side effects to the Utragestan or couldn't have a marina coil. So very few people would have it. And, and they were really pushing back at me. And I think it's because medics are the same as any other people. They don't like change and they don't like challenge. And also when you're very busy, you know what it's like to be, if you're busy, you just do what's easy for you. You just go to your default setting and you don't sit back and think, oh, actually, there's these new types of medication. And because... No one's interested in HRT. A lot of education, wrongly or rightly, is through pharma. As you know, I don't do any paid work with any no. pharmaceutical companies. But if you go to any conference, you go to a cardiology conference or an osteoporosis conference, it's funded by pharma. And you can criticise that, but actually the NHS can't fund everything. So the pharmaceutical companies are actually very good at getting information out there. Now, with HRT, because it's so cheap, the pharmaceutical companies actually aren't that interested. So they don't provide as much information. Right. And then we've got the whole MHRA thing that you know about, the Medicines Health Regulatory Authorities. So the inserts well, that, was that women huge. get. Yeah. So if I open my gel or my patch, it will tell me there's a risk of clot. And that's linked with how we prescribe HRT. So if, if a doctor, you come and see me and I prescribe you some estrogen gel for argument's sake, and it will come up as a warning to say risk of clot. 
And that will come up the same warning if I prescribe you an oestrogen tablet. So if I had no knowledge or training of the menopause, the only bit I'm getting is from the BNF, from my linked computer system. Well, actually, it's telling me the risk of clots the same. So then I think, well, I might as well give you the tablet because it's cheaper. And I can understand why doctors do it, because you would have thought what the MHRA is telling us is right, but it's not. So this is a real problem. And we had a, a problem talking about this on the documentary because obviously lawyers have to double check everything yes and it's hard to challenge a company that has got the documentation wrong inside the leaflet I think they are and have changed or they are changing the vaginal estrogen um, pessaries but that's slow on the uptake but as we filmed the documentary that was beginning to happen but that has zero risk of anything (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, inside the leaflet, it said risk of breast cancer. I mean, it was horrific. But it's mm. like you said, you know, every single medicine comes with quite a sturdy list of risks. And yet here we are with a medicine that has so many benefits and it's still demonized and shaming. There's so many people shaming people for taking it. And I want to talk about that for a moment. Well, quickly, I want to touch on the oral Estrogen, because another excuse, just while we're on that, that I've heard lots of doctors giving people, just from women I've that have contacted me on Twitter, is that they've been put on oral tablets, firstly because it's the first one that comes up mm. when the GP types in HRT, the oral tablet comes up first. And secondly, because they say, oh, well, I can't get you any transdermal anything because there's a problem with the manufacturing. Yeah, which is rubbish. There was, about 18 months ago, there was a real problem in some of it. I was sort of laughing a little bit because it was due to increased demand, which is great. And some of it was due to some manufacturing problems, but that's fine now. So it's not a problem. Some people find because HRT is so poorly prescribed, there are some areas where chemists just don't have it in stock. Mm. So they might go and have to get it in. No, we haven't got it. But there's always place. And there's actually a company called finderpharma.co.uk, which is run by a lovely pharmacist called Daniel, who does this for free. And he will find out where your nearest pharmacist is, or if you can't get it, where you can get it sent through the NHS, of course. So that's just a poor excuse, actually. Some women tell me that their GPs aren't allowed to prescribe it, and it's not on their formulary. And this is a real problem. So you would have thought... You know, you living where you live, I live, I live, we could get the same. No, it depends on our formulary that is run by our CCG. And where I live, we're not allowed to prescribe the natural body identical progesterone. It's like blacklisted, if you like. What? Why? I don't even get me started, Davina, because when it first came out, it was more expensive. And so they decided to have exclusions on it. And now it's come down in price and it's got more evidence to its safety. And I have been working with our local pharmacy group for the last three years. And when I first did it, they said, oh, it's because you're running a fancy private clinic. You want people to have this. And I said, it's nothing about my fancy private patients. It's about women and it's about what's available on the NHS. And most women who see me in my clinic, I encourage to get their HRT from their NHS. I don't want them to get it from me. And um, 
I gave them all the evidence and they still were pushing back and pushing back. And then there was a shortage, so they were forced to prescribe it. But actually, even when I was working in that area as an NHS GP, I still prescribed it, even though it came up with a big warning on the blacklist. Because I always think as a doctor, what's the worst thing that's going to happen to me if I do something wrong? Okay, I'll end up in court. So if I go to court because I prescribed a medicine that has the best evidence for it, what's going to happen to me? Mm. Nothing, actually. So you have to act. We are independent prescribers and we are allowed to act in the best evidence. Um, So no one can forbid us. No, it's very hard because you have to know the evidence. Yeah, and it's hard because, you know, people don't always agree. I've had stand-up rounds with partners at my work because they have taken women off HRT. But we've got the nice guidance to support us. And I think when you have good guidance, then actually that's our default. You know, if I read one paper that told me that snake oil is going to cure me of migraines and I prescribed snake oil to everyone with a migraine, of course, if I went to court, I would say, well, I've only read one paper. And they might go, well, Louise, have you not read the 999 other papers saying that it's dangerous? So that's why NICE, National Institute of Healthcare Excellence, put these guidance together. So it's very easy. So you don't have to read all these individual papers if you're too busy. You can just look at them. And the NICE guidance came out in 2015. So five and a half years ago, but they're still good. You know, there's a bit more evidence to support HRT even more since then. But even if you just work at that, and I'm doing some a lot of work with NHS England and NICE as well to try and get their guidelines pushed out even more. If we go back to those, they are very clear, as you quite rightly said at the beginning, the evidence for HRT, the benefits outweigh the risks. And it also says, you know, there are more benefits in prescribing the estrogen through the skin. So actually, you know, thinking of me standing up in court, I'll just say, well, I'm working out of the nice guidance. Mm. So no one's going to tell me off. And that's the same other doctors, really. But isn't it sad when you're prescribing something that you know can help Mm. women Mm. so much in such a profound way that you have to think about, okay, if I go to court, Mm. this is crazy. It feels medieval. It is medieval. I mean, and I sometimes do it with my patients say, do you know, it'd be a lot easier to, to get heroin or methadone. Mm. You'd get so much more support. You know, so many of my patients say, I, I just can't get it for my doctor. You know, their doctors are refusing. Well, that's what I'm hearing every night. Every night I'm on Twitter. I have my menopause chats every night. And every night, same thing. I've been told I can't have it. They've put me on antidepressants. And I also wanted to ask you about if women aren't symptomatic at all. So Mm. so quite a few women have the menopause and they're like, I'm sailing through it. I'm having the best time ever. Is HRT good for them if you haven't got any symptoms? Yeah, I spend a lot of time thinking about this. And the simple answer is yes. As you know, I come at HRT and the menopause thinking of it for health. So take symptoms away, which obviously for lots of women, the symptoms are absolutely horrendous and really floor us. But even if you don't, you've still got the same metabolic processes going on. So what happens without oestrogen is that our body goes into this sort of pro-inflammatory effect and inflammation isn't always good. You can get really good inflammation to for your immune system if you've got disease or whatever. But if you've got a low-grade inflammation, it's like a bad bruise in your body almost, and it makes everything get a bit toxic. So you, it increases your risk of putting on weight, increases your risk of heart disease, increases your risk of osteoporosis, dementia. Even there's some evidence that depression gets switched on by this pro-inflammation, if you see what I mean. So it's like accelerated ageing. 
So with aging, it's not about having a few lines on your skin. It's about getting older quicker. So your organs getting older quicker. So we know from really good evidence that if women have their ovaries removed, their biological age increases very quickly. And that's because you haven't got the protective effects of estrogen. With the menopause, it's more gradual, but you've still got these effects on every single cell. And so we're trying to do some research with, there's a company called Glycan Age, where you look at Glycan Age. Yes, and, yeah. I've done it. I've done What's my yours? Glycan Age. 36. Oh, mine's 20. Come on. What? <laughs> That's so unfair. But it's very interesting. So we're looking at this because I think it's really... I've used my body, though, Louise, for years. So that's still really good, though, 36. And you're... I know you're not 36. It's not bad. It's 53. That's amazing, isn't it? But we had had someone recently, actually, who had her glycan age done. She's fit, well, vegan, super fit, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. And her glycan age came back a few years, like four years younger than she was. She was a bit annoyed because her husband was eight years younger than his. But she wasn't taking HRT because, like some of your friends, she had no symptoms, she was fit and well, sailed through the menopause. The period stopped a few years ago, but she was absolutely fine. But some one of the glycan age people said, well, perhaps you need to think about HRT. So she went on it and after three months had her glycan age done again and it reduced by 15, actually. It was quite impressive. Wow. But, but she also said, gosh, I've just got a bit more energy and like, the exercise is a bit easier. So, yes. And this is something I've heard from quite a few women who said my symptoms weren't that bad and I probably could have soldiered on, which is the yes, terrible expression absolutely. that I hear time yeah. and time again. Just soldier on through, you'll be fine. And she said, I probably could have done, but actually now that I am feeling the effects of the vitality, the spring mm. in the step, the memory, the feeling a bit more on it, the laughing more, that just generally happier Yes. It felt like a no-brainer. Mm. And like me, I just was like, it feels wrong. You know, I'm putting something that shouldn't be in my body anymore. This is a natural process. I had three babies at home, home birth, no drug intervention. I've been clean since I was 24. I try not to ever even take urophenol or paracetamol. Mm. I'm really sort of clean living. And now I can't tell you how right HRT feels. And it feels like it's exactly where I am supposed to be. And that Mm. actually aging prematurely at 53 is not the natural process at all. No, absolutely. It's really important, isn't it? Because people think it's unnatural taking HRT. But actually, it's unnatural to not have it when you look at the diseases that it causes. You know, just looking at osteoporosis, one in two women over the age of 50 have osteoporosis, which is probably related to their hormones. One in three women will have an osteoporotic hip fracture, you know. On our um, documentary, we did a really brilliant thing. Kate came up with this idea, using chocolate to show what osteoporosis is like. So people that have osteoporosis your bones look a bit Mm. like an arrow and people that don't have osteoporosis your bones look a bit like the inside of a whisper Mm. and there's that density inside your bone and the the arrow means that they're just more likely to break Mm. or be vulnerable to fractures. Absolutely and it is a real hidden disease you know there's a bit more work I've just noticed the last few weeks that the government are putting out to try and improve awareness of osteoporosis but You know, I've seen so many women and men with osteoporosis with really bad curvature of their spine, with 
pain because of the fractures. They can't eat food properly. They get loads of chest infections. They just their bones are like twigs. And it, can it correct it? Know. Can estrogen? Yeah, correct? estrogen is the best treatment. So it is licensed actually for a treatment of osteoporosis. And it has got really good evidence that it can prevent, but also treat osteoporosis. So it can improve bone density. And, you know, the Royal Osteoporosis Society is an amazing charity, but it really talks about trying to find prevention. And it's like, Mm. well, we've got it in the form of hormones, actually. Mm. You know, if every woman who had an early menopause, so one in 100 women under the age of 40, if they all took HRT, the incidence of, osteoporosis would really decline Mm. so yeah the answer to the question is yes there's nothing to lose by taking HRT and and then you could think well what about women who've had cancers well most women with cancers absolutely fine this is another one that I hear a lot so a lot of women when I'm talking about it online say well I can't take it because I've got a family history of breast cancer and many women who have a family history of breast cancer might not have the gene for a start, yeah. the BRCA gene. But even if they've got the gene, they're absolutely It's fine still fine. It. Yeah, yeah. But when you say that, people are like, no, 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 mm-hmm. you know, well, whatever, that can't be true. But it is true. Yeah, because I think you have to think about what are the risks with, with taking HRT and breast cancer? Well, estrogen through the skin has been shown to have, well, estrogen on its own has been shown to have a lower risk of breast cancer. The WHI study, it lowers your risk of breast cancer with estrogen. And then the progesterone, the natural progesterone has been shown not to have an increased risk for the first five years. After that, they can't really convincingly show. The WHI study still didn't show it was statistically significant. So we also know that there are other drugs like a statin. Some studies show they increase risk of breast cancer, Mm. but others say that they don't. So it's not really a big deal. So the risk really isn't there. But women taking HRT will still get breast cancer. Of course they will. If you've got breasts, you've got a risk. You know, and that's the problem now is that women who are on HRT who get breast cancer, because say, oh, it's the HRT. HRT, it's caused it. Well, is it because they clean their teeth every morning or brush their mm. hair because they do that? You can't prove it. That's the problem. We did a really interesting sort of visual demonstration of out of a thousand women, you know, how many people are going to get breast cancer just from natural causes And it was in the 20s, just, I can't remember the exact number, but it was something like 25 women are going to just get breast cancer um, out of a thousand. And then the next, or maybe a number that was bigger than that was obesity was a huge cause of breast cancer. So I think that was 26 out of a thousand women were going to get breast cancer from obesity. And then women that drink two units of alcohol a day or more, Mm. There were five out of a thousand women that were going to get breast cancer from that. And the women taking HRT was four. Yeah. And that's the old types of HRT, obviously. And that's the old types of HRT. Yeah. So that's why women can safely take. And actually, they might even have a lower risk because a lot of women have a lower risk of breast cancer take HRT because of the estrogen, but also because their lifestyle is usually better. So they're less likely to be overweight and less likely to drink alcohol. So that was something I wanted to say that you said the other day where I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. Because often people go, oh, am I going to put on weight with HRT Mm. or will HRT help me lose weight? And you said something brilliant the other day, which is HRT won't make you lose weight, but Mm. it will make you want to exercise. And I was like, Mm. oh my God, that's it. Because when I was perimenopausal, I just lost 
all of my mm. oomph, all of my mojo. I didn't really want to get out of bed. I felt lazy. I felt demotivated. I felt the minute I started taking HRT and it started taking effect, I started wanting to exercise again mm. and feeling the joy of it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And people do. And they so they do exercise more. But also women who go through the menopause without estrogen, their body changes so they produce more fat cells and a lot of people find the fat starts in the midline and the estrogen that's produced by fat cells is not the same as the estrogen that we rub onto our skin with the gel so it's a very again pro-inflammatory type of estrogen Mm. it's quite a nasty estrogen and this is what's interesting as well so we see a lot of women who've had breast cancer who are really struggling with symptoms and they have estrogen in their body and actually a lot of them tend to push on weight so if I measure their estradiol level it will be higher than if I get gave them just a, some natural body identical estrogen at a mm. low dose so there's there's a lot more to and, and the, it all boils down to research we need more research we need to look at research for women who've had breast cancer you know because these women are denied estrogen for no good reason actually mm. we haven't got good studies to show that it's dangerous and estrogen used to be a treatment for breast cancer mm. so it might even be beneficial so there's a lot of work that needs to be done and especially women that get plunged into early menopause, mm. I feel very, very sorry for any woman that is, you know, sometimes in their 30s and mm. they have their womb taken out and then kind of just That's left it. with no advice or mm. help or guidance. But I think what we do really need to also campaign for is a lot more NHS menopause clinics. Um, you Look, mm. I totally understand if GPs are really nervous about it, then why don't you have a local menopause clinic, you can go, look, I'm going to refer you to the menopause clinic and they can help you out. Well, they don't, to be honest. They just, the GPs need more training because actually it's one of the easiest, most straightforward things I've ever prescribed as a doctor. If, really? If, yeah, yeah. If you were diabetic, it would be almost inexcusable for me to say, oh, Davina, I don't know anything about diabetes. I'm going to have to refer you to a clinic. Yes, if your diabetes became very difficult to manage and control, of course I would refer you to a specialist. But actually, diabetes doesn't affect, as you say, 51% of the population. So for some women, you know, those women with higher risks, for example, who've had an estrogen receptor positive cancer in the past, they should be referred to a specialist clinic. And absolutely, there should be more. Can I ask you something? So somebody that's had an estrogen positive cancer, can they take HRT? Yeah, again, it's very individualised. But yes, they can. I mean, I saw someone in my clinic recently who said, I now have a choice, actually, I had breast cancer, and I'm not on any HRT, and I used to be on it, and then I had a breast cancer five years ago. So she said, I have a choice, really, I could go and live with my mother in Highlands of Scotland, and vegetate and stare at the four walls, because that's what my life is like, and probably think about ending it because I feel so low. Or I could take my HRT back again, I could carry on working as a paramedic, I could enjoy the rest of my life, knowing it might have a detrimental effect on my breast cancer but I would make the most of every day of that life and I'm choosing the latter because Mm. I want my life back and she's decided to take HRT so I feel for those people I've I'm there as their advocate I'm not there to tell them I'm not God I can't tell them what they can and can't do she might get run over by a bus tomorrow so her breast Mm. cancer is you know irrelevant you know women aren't defined by their disease or their breast there's more to it and actually this woman knows that she had a family history of heart disease she's probably more likely to die from a heart attack Mm. and that's where you have to be individualized so I'm not Mm. here on the podcast to say yes definitely no no, they can't 
But actually, it's about choice. But those women should be referred. But it shouldn't just be doctors. It should be nurses. You know, for years, nurses have run contraception clinics. They've run yes. blood pressure clinics. So, totally. you know, it's very easy to prescribe. You just need to improve the education, not just even... For nurses and doctors, pharmacists should be able to be involved more as well. Mm. You know, some of the work I'm doing with my not-for-profit education and hopefully the charity as well, we can try and train doctors abroad and nurses abroad, you know, really get it to all these other countries where they're not able to benefit mm. from getting the right education because it's it's huge. Crazy that they're making it or it seems so difficult to get to help the GPs in this country prescribe mm. HRT it mm. seems insane that you are there wanting to pass on your expertise to GPs to help us mm. and they don't want it yeah things are changing and, and there's lots of doctors that really want to receive education and I feel I like think, they do mm, so making it easy you know allowing people to have access to our education program will help but we've got a long way to go mm. and I just feel for all these women who are suffering, you know, it's fine talking about helping the next generation, but what about us? What about mm. people now? And there's a lot we can do quickly because we've got mm. available treatment. We've got knowledge. We've got evidence. We can build on it, but actually we need to really help now. So mm. so it's always a depressing end to the podcast. But can I just say something? Thank yeah. you, Louise, because thank <laughs> you for... No, but I send people to your resources all the time. I spend my life on use and health, on all the articles. Whenever I type in, you know, endometriosis, breast cancer and HRT, all the different types of HRT, it's all there. And the Balance app as well. You've got mm. all these resources on the Balance app. It's all free, you know. Yes, you run a private clinic, but you put so much information out there on the internet mm. that we mm. can all access, that we can all get to. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for that because, oh, thank you. you know, through that, I can help people a little bit. Well, I think it's very important for me. I do not want to be seeing every woman in my clinic. Absolutely, I don't. I really want to be able to empower women so they can choose where to go and help. Mm. It really, it just saddens me. So... But thank you. But before we go, I would like yes. just, I always do these three take-home tips. Oh, yes. And I would like you to say three reasons why people should watch the programme if they haven't watched it already. Well, if you are a woman or a man, you should watch <laughs> this programme. I'll tell Anyone you why. Yeah. Because someone you love and someone you know or someone you work with will be going through what this programme is about. And you may end up with a greater understanding of that person. Very quickly, I called my cousin the other day in Paris and I was a bit teary because my mum had a full hysterectomy at 28 mm. and she clearly wasn't put on any kind of HRT and she was a terrible person. <laughs> but part of her terribleness mm. would have been hormonal. And I called my cousin, I was like, oh my God, do you think I just wasn't understanding and I've been hard on her and she must have had this terrible time. She said, no, look, she was very troubled before she had her womb taken out. But imagine being terribly troubled and then having your womb taken out. I mean, really horrific. Anyway, you will have a better understanding of people you love. And this goes mm -hmm. for men, women and everything. A second reason is if you are out there and you are pro-women in any way, whether you're a man or a woman, and you want to support us, there will be ways and I will show you the ways that you can get out there and make some noise. 
because mm. what you will see in this documentary will horrify you. Mm. And these are all things that with our voices and social media and all the ways that we can, we can use this for very positive change. This isn't negative change. This isn't being horrible to people. This is a positive change that will impact mm. women's lives but now and for your daughters, your your friends, your everybody, all women. And let's not forget women in turn, you know, it has an impact on everybody that these women know, work with, love, care about, you know. Anyway, and the third reason is because I think it's always really, really good to be informed. There's a lot of science in here. There's a lot of information in here. And when you think half the population goes through the menopause, it is important to inform yourself about it. You shouldn't go through life not knowing anything about something that half the nation will absolutely most definitely go through. Everybody should know about it. And we had a lovely message. I don't know if you heard it, of a guy called Mark on Twitter who said, oh my goodness, I've just seen, I think it was the interview that you and I did before. And he said, I'm, I'm absolutely moved and I'm really changing the way that I look at my wife and I'm here to support her and I want to help her through it. I thought, good grief, like, mm. more men like that, please, you know. Yeah. But educate yourself. It's a good thing to do. Documentaries are a really good thing to watch. Mm. And this one in particular, when you think how many people it will affect that you know, educate yourself. Brilliant. Absolutely. So that's a, a longer way of just saying everyone needs to watch it. Yes, and indeed basically. they do. Really do, because it's just brilliant. So thanks ever so much for your time. Oh, I love you. Really appreciate it. Thank you. For more information about the perimenopause and menopause, you can go to my website, menopausedoctor.co.uk, or you can download our free app called Balance, available through the App Store and Google Play.